From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The impeachment inquiry is now in the hands of the House Judiciary Committee, historically the place where formal impeachment charges would be drafted. During the hearings, Democrats made the case that President Trump abused his office by trying to trade military aid to Ukraine for an investigation into the family of his perceived rival, Joe Biden. Republicans countered that the White House eventually released the aid, clearing the president of any wrongdoing and questioning the reliability of some of the testimony. The first round of proceedings in the House Intelligence Committee surfaced two things that don't often make headlines, the use of hearsay and the U.S. State Department. We've invited a couple of Georgia experts to discuss those topics. First up, Parag Shah. He's an attorney and pro hoc judge to the City of Atlanta Municipal Court, which means he works part-time in that capacity. Parag is also author of The Code, a reference guide to Georgia rules of evidence. Prague, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about the topic of hearsay. What is it exactly? So hearsay is a rule of evidence that says a witness can't testify about what someone else said as proof that what they said is true. For example, if you asked me, is it cold outside? And I said, my wife said it's cold outside. That's hearsay. So is hearsay allowed in court proceedings? Hearsay is absolutely allowed. There are tons of exceptions to hearsay. The big issue with hearsay is like the telephone game. We've all played the telephone game. And the problem with the telephone game is that the person at the end usually gets wrong with the person who started the telephone game said. And because the issue is reliability. Sometimes people misspeak. We mishear things. There's some context. But they're questioning those things. We can determine, well, some things are reliable. So if my wife, if we take my wife's scenario again, if I see her walk outside and she goes, oh, my God, it's cold, I can probably rely on that. Or she layers up with many, many coats. Absolutely. Okay, so all of those can create the, I guess, background for something that is hearsay. Sure. So what is an example of hearsay having been used in a court proceeding? In criminal cases, they, we have things, preliminary hearings, probable cause hearings, where an officer will testify about what a victim said to them. And that may be enough to arrest the person. And if we try to compare it to what's going on right now in this inquiry hearings, it's similar to, in a criminal case, getting an indictment against someone. A grand jury meets. They hear testimony, usually from the officer. And it's usually hearsay information in which a grand jury decides, I think there's enough to bring formal charges. But and that's based on the reliability of the person who brought the hearsay charge forward, correct? Sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, obviously, we're able to question the context and all those things of the hearsay statements. But there are times where hearsay is absolutely admissible. So, for example, we have something called child hearsay, which means that if a child under a certain age makes an allegation of sexual abuse toward, to a parent or just to an adult, that adult can say what the child said. Because we don't want children of that age coming in, having to relive things or say things. There are public policies, reasons why, and so cases like whistleblower situations. We want to protect the whistleblower and public policy reasons, and so hearsay is totally fine. Well, let's actually use an example of that. Republicans cried hearsay during two key moments of the impeachment proceedings. Here's the first. Ranking member on in the Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunez, and Committee Chair Adam Schiff talking about somebody who is notably absent. Now that the whistleblower has successfully kick-started impeachment, he has disappeared from the story, as if the Democrats put the whistleblower in their own witness protection program. Uh, what agency was this individual from? If I could interject here, uh, 
we don't want to use these it's proceedings. Our, it's our time, I know, Chair. but we need to protect the whistleblower. Um, uh, if Please stop. I want to make sure that uh, there's no effort to out the whistleblower uh, through the use of these proceedings. So the whistleblower's initial complaint was based on conversations with other people. According to whistleblower laws, that is okay. But when we're talking about holding a public hearing, didn't this all start with hearsay? It did start with hearsay, but the main distinction here is this is not court. The real question is, do we want these proceedings to be more stringent than court? Because if we were saying this is court, just like in the criminal setting where we would have a hearing to see if there's enough to bring charges, which is essentially what this inquiry is, the real trial happens with the Senate. This is just an inquiry to see if we should have articles of impeachment that should have a trial for the Senate. And if you compare it to court, that's totally fine. And the second part of this is you want to protect the whistleblower. If we say, you know what, you're entitled to cross-examine your accuser, confront your accuser, well, then whistleblowers won't come forward. And whistleblowers don't have to. They're protected from that. They're protected, just like minor children who make allegations of sexual abuse. All right. Here is the second moment during the hearings in which Republicans say this was hearsay. Ambassador William Taylor, acting U.S. envoy to Ukraine here. Ambassador Sondland told me that President Trump had told him that he wants President Zelensky to state publicly that Ukraine will investigate Burisma and alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. In fact, Ambassador Sondland said, everything was dependent on such an announcement, including security assistance. Well, that certainly sounds like a game of telephone. Why might it be hearsay? Hearsay is just generally what someone else said. But that doesn't mean that it's not reliable. From my understanding of what was just played, if they're there, they're hearing it. There are things that are also not hearsay. So, for example, in the court of law, statements against interest or how the person who's hearing it also is perceiving the conversation. If the person hearing it believes that, you know, this could be some quid pro quo or this is how I'm interpreting what is being said, it may not necessarily be hearsay. Hearsay is what we're talking about, the actual words. Are the actual words the truth? And so in this situation, what we also look at is, are there corroborating factors? Are there things that are corroborating what was heard, what's been said? And that adds to the reliability. Remember, this is not beyond a reasonable doubt. We're not trying to prove this 100%. What we're trying to do is say, is there enough evidence here to say we should move forward with a Senate trial on impeachment? I'm speaking with Parag Shah, attorney and judge for the City of Atlanta Municipal Court and author of a pocket guide called The Code, a reference guide to Georgia's rules of evidence. Parag, EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland went on to testify that he did perceive a quid pro quo. Ukraine would get its aid when Trump got his investigation or an announcement of an investigation of the Bidens. Does that make a difference? Yes. Basically, we're trying to figure out, can we rely on hearsay statements that we've heard. And any level of corroboration helps to say, you know, this is a little bit reliable. Like you said, for the example with it being cold. If we see people walking around with jackets on, then we can probably rely on that statement. There are two types of evidence. There's direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. Both are totally fine in, in the court of law. Direct is basically, I saw him commit the crime. Circumstantial, an example of that is, if I walked in, my boots are wet and I have an umbrella, you can pretty much take from that evidence as maybe raining outside. You weren't out there. You didn't see that it was raining. But based on all the information you have and me saying, 
you know, my wife said it's raining outside too. That's enough to say, you know, maybe we can rely on that. The question is just a spectrum of reliability. Is it enough to say, okay, I think we can rely on this? Right. And a Senate trial, as you said, is different from what goes on in a regular courtroom. Or do those same rules apply? So the same rules don't have to apply. The Senate follows their own rules and procedures. And the Chief Justice, Justice Roberts, is the one that's going to preside over it. And so it goes back to the fundamental question. Do we want it to be more stringent than court? Do we want to hold it as we would criminal trials beyond a reasonable doubt? Who makes that decision about how the trial is conducted? Would it be Justice John, Chief Justice John Roberts? So Chief Justice Roberts just follows whatever the Senate has already decided. So, so the, their Senate, house, the Senate Rules Committee. For Senate it. rules, however, the rules and procedures have already been outlined. That determines it. Now, the Senate can change it. They can change it up to the day before or at any time they want if they have enough majority to change those rules and procedures. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts is just presiding over it and conducting the hearing based on the Senate rules and procedures. So we're not following the rules of evidence that we would follow in federal court or in in Georgia or any of those type of places. And and the reality is, which most people probably don't want to hear, is there are people convicted every day that are getting life sentences, going to prison over hearsay evidence. I have to say, that stuns me. Yes. So yes. It's, it's, hearsay is much more often used in criminal cases than we might be led to believe. The common principle is we want to have as much evidence in as possible. The rule is we don't want to exclude evidence. Let's let everything come in and let's let the people figure out what the truth is. The Republicans, I think, or the people who are on the side of Trump have said that, well, this is a you're talking about deposing a president or impeaching a president. So you have to be absolutely, absolutely sure. Are there high profile cases that you can think of in which hearsay was actually used as admissible evidence? Yes, there's the Stacey Peterson case. Uh, where Stacey Peterson disappeared and her husband... This is about Drew five Pe- years ago or something? Five years ago, a while ago, Drew Peterson was convicted of murder and sentenced to prison based on hearsay testimony specifically, which to correlate to what's going on here, the divorce lawyer, former divorce lawyer, said that Stacy told him that Drew told her he had killed Savio and then coached her to lie to police about it. So we have number of layers of hearsay in which the court allowed that information to come in and the jury polled afterwards said that information was very impactful in us making our decision. And similar to what's going on here, one of the arguments is there are a number of layers of hearsay, but that doesn't mean that it's not reliable. I think what they did here is the circumstances, there were other corroborating evidence. And if you put everything together, what you look at is the totality of everything. And that's what juries look at. Juries look at the totality of everything. And that's just 12 people in a box. We got the whole Senate that has to make that decision. That's not easy to convince. In court, hearsay is allowed in preliminary hearings. And that's what the House committee, let's say, is doing now. If the House votes to impeach Trump and this matter does go forward to the Senate, should lawmakers be stricter about prohibiting hearsay there? If we're talking about making the rules stricter, the court of law already has made it very complicated and very strict as as it is. There are so many exceptions. There are so many rules and so many different things in a court of law that can be navigated. This is a totally different proceeding. And so do we want to make it that kind of situation where it is stricter than a court of law? Are we saying that impeaching a president is 
should be stricter than sending a person away to prison for life. Because if we go down that road, then maybe we need to change a lot of different things in our criminal justice system and so on. Because in, in every court proceeding, there's a standard of proof. In a civil case, you have to prove that more likely than not, this situation happened. In a child custody situation, it's clear and convincing evidence. In a criminal case, beyond a reasonable doubt. What's the standard in a Senate hearing? Do we want it to be more than beyond a reasonable doubt? Do we want it to be absolute proof? If we go down that road, there will never be enough proof because that's not how the real world works. Thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Parag Shah, attorney and pro hoc judge to the City of Atlanta Municipal Court. He's also author of The Code, a reference guide to Georgia rules of evidence. And stay tuned after the show. We're going to hear live NPR coverage of the next round of impeachment proceedings now in the House Judiciary Committee. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on impeachment. Are you keeping track? Are you over it already? Will the hearings in the House make any difference in the Senate? Well, you can join the conversation about this or anything you hear on our show on our Facebook group, GPB Radios on Second Thought. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. You can follow us on Instagram at GPB News or email us on secondthought at gpb.org. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought.